Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. O Lord, as I come to bring the word that you have planted on my heart, that you have given to me to speak, I ask you to rise up in our hearts, and I ask you to melt us down tonight. In the name of Jesus, would you let us know and experience your compassion, Lord Jesus? I pray in your holy name. Amen. Some of you have come tonight with hearts of ice. Some of you have been questioning whether you're going to continue this walk with Jesus. In fact, even as you listened to the songs and sang, your heart wasn't really in the music because there's such hurt and coldness in your spirit. Some of you are wondering, can I bear up under this Christian walk? Some of you tonight need to hear the message of that old song. Jesus loves me. 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You've tried, you've tried, oh, you've tried so hard to be a Christian. But it seems that everything draws your heart and infuriates you. You just can't seem to win. You just can't seem to get a breakthrough. And no matter how hard you try, that cold ice grips your heart. And you say, oh God, I guess this is just normal living. No, it's not normal living. It is not normal to be filled with ice. It's normal to be filled with fire. It's not normal to live with constant self-condemnation. It's normal to be lifting our hearts up and our hands up in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord Jesus. It's not normal to be biting at each other. It's not normal to be arguing with each other. It's normal to be a humble servant with a heart overflowing with love. There's a melting down that has to happen in our hearts, in this house. And there's only one thing that I know that will melt it down. And that's getting another look at Jesus Christ. Another look at his love for us. Another look at his glory. So that reality can be placed in a proper perspective. The problem that most of us have is that our worlds are so big and we're so big in those worlds. We're so big we can't see Jesus. Our problems are so great the sun of righteousness is blocked and it causes us to live in a shadow land where our our hearts turn to ice with anger and rage and bitterness, disappointments. Then we begin to be critical. We begin to say things to each other that no one should say to another. It's your fault if you just change, if you just be like I want you to be, as though you were sitting on the throne of God. But that kind of criticism comes out of that heart of ice where I've tried so hard and I've failed every time. And if I'm failing, why don't you do it right at least? Stupid. Do it right. I can't do it right, but I can't admit that. And that root of bitterness drives down into our heart and causes such pain and anguish. And those around us, there's only one way I know to change that. That's to get our eyes on Jesus and begin to see a new revelation of his glory. Who is God? What's he like? I know who Jan is. She's my darling wife. When I think of Jan... I think of the mischievous smile, the quick turn of wit, 
the constant selfless acts of love. Looking at me and saying, wow, you got a great haircut, Ray. Where'd you get that? She'd cut it 10 minutes before. I mean, I think of Jan and I know who she is. I know that heart of constant love and service. I also know the rough edges. That's not always smooth. I know what her buttons are. I can push them in a second. Always, of course, in (laughs) self-defense. Who's God? What are God's buttons? Do you know how to push God's buttons? What's he like? Does he have a sense of humor? (laughs) He made me. He made you. That requires quite a sense of humor. He made a grasshopper. He made a bird. A sparrow. Who is God? Well, we find out who God is by looking at the revelation of who he is in the scriptures. We find out who God is by how he deals with our hearts. That we're not cinders tells us something about his love and mercy. Is there any here who would not deserve to be a cinder tonight? That's his mercy, his grace. When I begin to think about who is God, I begin immediately to think about stories. My favorite stories. And one of my most favorite stories in all of Scripture is when... The children of Israel are worshiping these Baal gods, these calves, in direct disobedience. And Moses comes down off the mountain, filled with the glory of God, and he has in his hands the two covenants, the copy for the Israelites, and he has God's copy also. You understand what that meant. When you make a covenant, you have one copy, and the person you make the covenant with has the other copy. How many times does the person trust one of the parties with both copies of the covenant? That's what God did with Moses. He said, here, you take these two tables of stone down. It's a copy of the covenant. So here comes Moses down the mountain and he sees the children of Israel in this utter sin before God and he throws both copies down of the covenant and breaks them. He grinds up this calf god of gold and throws it in the water and makes the children of Israel drink the water with the calf god gold in it. Heavy metal poison. That's not the part of the story that I like. The part of the story that I like is when God says to Moses, now I'm not going with you to the promised land. Because if I go with you, I might just get angry, turn around and destroy you. And Moses says, 
how can we go if you don't go with us? If you don't go with us, how will the nations know we're any different from them? The only thing that's going to make any difference is whether you're with us. And if you're not there, don't send us. I'm not going to go alone. Oh, my brothers, my sisters, how many times I've gone alone, headlong into my journey to my promised land. Moses caught it immediately and he said, I'm not going. If you don't go, I'm not going. Finally, God relents. And he says, okay. Okay, Moses. I'm going to go with you. Now, you should have thought that Moses at that point should sigh a great sigh of relief and say, God's coming with us. God, thank you. You're going to come with us. That wasn't what he said to God at all. He said, God, would you show me your glory? What? Why would God be interested in showing Moses his glory? He'd just given in and said, okay, I'll go with you. I think God may have still had an attitude. Did you know God has an attitude? It's never one of sin. It's one of righteousness. He hates sin. He hates sin. God doesn't look casually at you when you commit sin against Him. He hates sin. It cost Him His Son. It cost Him His Son for my sin. God is not casual about your sin. You lie, God hates it. You get angry, God hates it. God hates our sin. He's not indifferent to it. He hates it. He hates it with a passion. And here's Moses saying, show me your glory. Now, there's only one time you can ask God to show you His glory, and that's when you have confessed all your sin. Otherwise, His glory will destroy you. But Moses was clean before God, and he said, God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, okay, I'll show you my glory. I can't show it all to you, because if I showed you all my glory... You could not live, but I'll let you see my back. Have you ever wanted to see God's back? Just his back. I want to see his face. Do you want to see God's face? But tonight I'd settle for his back. I just need to see him. A revelation of His glory. Exodus, the 34th chapter, verse 5. After Moses, after Moses chisels out two more stone tablets 
Now, I want you to catch this. God could not show Moses his glory until two more stone tablets had been carved out. It's only based on the covenant that glory can be seen. Did you hear me? It's only based on covenant that God's glory can be seen. You can't see God's glory if you're not in covenant with Him. And you know what the covenant is. That you'll climb up on the altar of burnt offering. And you'll be a living sacrifice. And all of you, you let go of. All your wants, all your stuff, all your attitudes, everything has to go. And you say, God, just show me your glory. That's all I want. I want to see your glory. I don't want... I don't want you to come down and fix my mess. I don't want you to come down and do anything for me. I just want to see your glory. I'm not going to try to use you to get what I want. I just want to see your glory. Based on covenant, the glory can be seen. Verse 5, The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. What is the first word of description the Lord uses regarding himself? Did you notice The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate. The compassionate. What does the compassionate mean? Compassion means literally to have one's stomach involved. to have one's deepest seat of feeling involved, to have one rise up in their spirit and say, I have to reach out and help you. I have no choice. I must help you. This is the first description God uses for who He is. So it's like a a great wave of the Pacific Ocean. It's coming crashing in. 
It tries to get into that little crevasse, that little creek. It crashes against the cliff and, and a little stream makes its way in. We've set our lives up with such icy hardness that the great compassion of God can come crashing into our lives and we only get a few drops. It's not because there's a limit on God's compassion. It's because of the hard wall the compassion crashes against. That's why I'm saying tonight, there has to come a melting down in our hearts so that the compassion of God can flood over our lives and restore and heal what sin has broken in our hearts. Verse 14, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. So you have two sides of this. You have this great, overwhelming wave of thundering compassion that is coming from God. And when that is not received... God says, I'm jealous for you to receive my compassion. Would you receive my compassion? His heart is grieved by the lack of our being willing to accept his incredible compassion. And of course, we want to say, where are you, God? Why aren't you giving me what I want? Because it's not written in the covenant. God only operates by the covenant. What would you think if a husband came to his wife and said, why didn't you bring me a new girlfriend? You'd say, that's insanity. Well, likewise. Isn't it insanity when God doesn't bring to us that thing we desire to love and worship. And we're angry at God because He won't bring to us that prosperity, or He won't bring to us that person, or He won't change the circumstances. He won't bring the job because He knows that that thing will be what we will worship. How could he dare bring to us the very thing that would capture our hearts and take us away from his heart? Oh, if I just had the house I want to live in. If I just had the car I want. If I just had the job I want. If I just had the wife I want. If I just had the husband I want. If I just had, if I just had, if I just had, if I just had. God says, Not on your life. You think I'm going to supply you with an extra wife? I'm a jealous God. I want you for myself. That's how compassionate he is. But then you come into the New Testament. Oh, I tell you. You just read through the Gospels. And everywhere you turn in the Gospels, you find Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it says his heart was moved with compassion. 
all of the healing wonders that Jesus did were because his heart was moved with compassion. Now, what would you think? I talk to Peter, and I say, Peter, um, look, I'm going to need some medical help. Jan has a thyroid problem. I'm wondering, Peter, if you could check with Jesus' schedule, and maybe, maybe tomorrow afternoon about 4.30, would that be a good time for me? Could I get an appointment to see Jesus about 4.30 tomorrow afternoon? I want to talk with him about Jan's thyroid problem. And so I show up. Jesus is in the midst of teaching. I get to Peter and I say, Peter, did you get my appointment? Yeah, Jesus said that he would see you. So Jesus is at a break, comes over and he says, what is it you want? And we say, well, Jesus, we thought we needed a medical consult. We need to know what we should do about this thyroid situation. I mean, we've got several options for treatment. We, we could have Jan continue to stay on her PTU medicine. Or there's another medical process with radioactive iodine that will suppress the thyroid. We were thinking about that. Or was there anything you thought of? Anything you'd like to do, Jesus? I can imagine Jesus would say, what do you want? (laughs) Well, Jesus, what I want is for you to give me some advice. I want you to advise me regarding my wife's condition. I need you to help me know how to handle this deal with Jan. What I'm doing, Jesus, is seeking information so I'll know what course to pursue for Jan's treatment. And Jesus, I can imagine, would say to me, What do you want? Well, Jesus, all I want is some help here. What do you want me to do, Jesus? See, Jesus, I'm ahead. And I have to think everything through here. I have to have all the right information here. I can't make a decision about Jan's situation until I've checked all the internet deals and talked with a number of different doctors, and I'm coming to you for another opinion regarding her situation. What's your opinion, Jesus? I can imagine that Jesus at that point would say, repent, if he were still there. You understand what I'm saying to you? If I took that approach regarding Jan, Jesus' heart would not be engaged. His compassion would not be aroused. And I would receive nothing from his hand. He would say, obviously, Ray, you have 
other resources you can turn to, I suggest you go ahead and turn to those other resources. In fact, why don't you just go ahead and spend all that you have on the doctors? And when you've run out, if you can catch me as I'm passing through a crowd, you might try to reach out and touch me. But you're going to have to really want to come touch me because the crowds are going to be pressing very tight. What do you want with Jesus? You want to consult with Jesus? You want to get down on your knees and say, Jesus, I have these options. I'm wondering what you'd like me to do here. And if you don't answer Jesus, I have several options that I've already decided I can pursue. How far do you think you will get toward the kingdom of God and how much compassion will be aroused in the heart of Jesus by that approach? None. And then, of course, you will say, you know, it doesn't do any good to pray. You don't get any answers anyway. I'm tired of this praying business. I believe in just getting on and doing what I have to do. I believe in just taking care of business. Because when I pray, nothing happens anyway. The only way something is going to happen with Jesus is when he is stirred in compassion regarding your case. The only way he's going to be stirred to do something about your case is when you can't do a thing about your case and you're going to die if he doesn't step in and do something. But of course, we're positive thinking people. There's always a new thing we can try. Reviving our spirits with a cookie. Reviving our spirits with a video. Reviving our spirits in some way. Reviving our spirits to give us the courage to go on and to fight the fight. And the ice builds in our heart. And the bitterness flows out of our mouth. And the judgments flow in our families. And words come from our mouths that are full of wonderful information because if we can't consult Jesus, then obviously you should come and consult me because I'm the fount of wisdom here. I can fix your problem. I have experience. I'll become God, thank you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't mean to be light. The compassion of God is so overwhelming. The mercy of our Lord is so great. Blind Bartimaeus is sitting beside the road. He's in Jericho. He hears, he hears that Jesus is passing by with his disciples. He's tired of sitting beside the road begging. He doesn't want to beg anymore. 
He doesn't want to be spit upon anymore. He doesn't want to be cast aside anymore. He doesn't want to be cast down. He doesn't want to be, he wants to do something for somebody. He wants to be somebody that's worthwhile. He's tired of being nothing. He's tired of being the dregs of the society. He wants to go into the temple of God and worship, but he can't because he's blind. He hears that Jesus is passing by. He leaps to his feet. He begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuke him, and they told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Mark the 11th chapter. I'm sorry, the 10th chapter. Mark the 10th chapter. People rebuked him and they said, stop crying out for Jesus. Have you cried out so to Jesus that someone has had to rebuke you for crying out to Jesus? What a glorious thing to have people tell me, stop crying out for the Holy Spirit. I'm told that all the time. People say to me, Pastor, you're embarrassing yourself by talking about crying out for the Holy Ghost. You already have the Holy Spirit. You already walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Why are you crying out for the Holy Spirit? Stop it. And all I can do is cry out all the louder and say, I must have the Lord Jesus. I must have a new revelation of Him. I have to have the Holy Spirit. I can't live without it. I can't make it. Son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he shouts it. He doesn't whisper it. Oh, you understand. It's one thing to stand and say, taxi, taxi. It's another thing to get out in the middle of the street and start jumping up and down and saying, taxi, taxi, taxi. I mean, one says, here's a civilized man with dignity, and he's in a hurry. Taxi. (laughs) But it's another thing to be a madman out in the middle of the street shouting, taxi, taxi, I have to have a taxi. Then everybody stops, and they wonder where the fire is. There's a crazy man out in the middle of the street. Get out of the street, you foolish man. Somebody's going to run over you. Get out of the street. Get out of the street. The horns start to honk. Drivers start to shout out the windows. Now tell me, will he get a taxi? You bet he'll get a taxi. Dear Jesus, thank you that I'm not a sinner like this other man. You know I love you, Jesus. Now lay me down to sleep. Come on. Where's the desperation? Where's the crying out after God? What need do you have of the compassion of God tonight? Have you set your life in such a place that if God doesn't show up, you can still handle things? 
Are you going to make it all right if Jesus doesn't come? Are you just going to tough it through like you've toughed it through in the past? Or it'd be nice to have Jesus' help. But if he doesn't come, it's all right. I've got my deal and I can make it happen. I'm a worker. I know how to do things. You're a cat with nine lives. You're a survivor. I mean, some of you carry your survival in your pocket. You could lose your job today and you'd be fine. You'd figure a way through. You get sick, not to worry. I can go to the doctor. Hey, get sick, go to the doctor. I don't need to pray about it. I got stuff figured out. Get in an accident, call the insurance man. Got hard water? Call the Culligan man. You got a problem? You got a fix. That's America. How much do you need God tonight? Are you going to die if you don't get him? Are you going to survive without him? Is your heart full of ice? Or is your heart milled down by his compassion and his love and his mercy and his grace? I know, I know what happened in this story. Jesus stopped. Now I want you to understand that. The God of the universe, the creator God of the universe, is moving. And because a beggar is yelling at the top of his lungs... Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. God stopped. I can tell you tonight without a shadow of a doubt, had Bartimaeus sat beside the road and said, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, dear Jesus, would you please help me, Jesus? Jesus would never have stopped. If you want the God of heaven to stop on behalf of you and your family, you're going to have to give up your pride and your arrogance, and you're going to have to jump and shout and cry loud to him. You're going to have to do whatever it takes to express the utter hopelessness of your situation. And when you do, the God of heaven will stop. And he'll have healing in his wings. You see what I'm really trying to say tonight? Is that if you don't need anything, he's not giving anything. But if you're needing tonight, God's giving tonight. If your heart is hungry and crying out and you're not going to make it without and you're willing to stand and shout after him, he'll hear you and he'll stop. And the scriptures tell us that if he hears us, 
he does what we ask him to do. And in the story in Mark 11, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He followed Jesus. Now I have to show you a scripture that all of you are familiar with, but you have to see it tonight. These are the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation. That is Jesus. These are Jesus' words. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. He could have added, I know you're not cold or hot. I know you're self-sufficient. I know you're educated. I know that you have vast resources. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. What is this gold refined in the fire? What that is, is simply put yourself in a position where if God doesn't come and answer your cry, you're not going to make it. Now you're in the fire, and now your faith can begin to shine like gold. The problem we're facing is that he says we're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked, and we don't even know it. Colorado is my birth state. Denver. There's a festival of lights in Denver. I understand it's to be held this week. The mayor of Denver has declared that it's illegal to have anything on that float of lights that says Merry Christmas, that all references to Christianity must be totally absent, that no Christmas carols can be sung, that instead only happy holidays can be said. And so there are no churches with floats in this festival of lights. Instead, there's an Indian group, American Indian group of gay and transgenders. They have a float called Two Spirits. The Chinese Buddhists have a float, and they're doing a dance in the parade to ward off evil spirits. 
Everything of contempt is in this, sponsored largely by NBC. While we're playing with the Lord Jesus Christ, the nation is being stolen by the devil. If you drive by Tyson's Corner, you'll see Happy Celstus. Macy's this year has a corporate policy that no clerk is allowed to say Merry Christmas. They can only say Happy Holidays. Because no one wants to offend someone who is not of the Christian faith. Now, never mind that it's a pagan holiday anyway. The point that I'm trying to make is that the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian faith, is being removed, radically excised from the public marketplace. Someone responded to that today by saying, America needs a new education about what it means to be Christians. No, we don't need any more information. We need a heart change. We need a conversion. We need to be converted. The compassion of God is there. His mercy is everlasting. His love is beyond anything we could even begin to describe. But quite frankly, we don't need it. We have other ways of taking care of business. And so Jesus speaks to the last end-day church, and he says, you're not hot or cold. You're just kind of casual. Church is a fun place to go. Sing some great songs. Hear some inspiring preaching. Meet some nice friends. Feel good. Lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Literally, in the Greek, I'm about to vomit you. That's pretty graphic for Jesus the Son of the living God, to say to his people. Why would he say that? Because you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. So tonight, if there is anything in your heart that is saying, look, Jesus, Could I have a consult with you? You're not going to move in the compassion of God. There's only one thing that will move God's heart on your behalf, and that's if you suddenly, dramatically, graphically understand and see the truth, the reality, that there isn't anything you can do to save yourself. It is going to have to be a gracious act of God to rescue you and your family and that God has a heart to do that. But you're going to have to cry out to him and ask him to do it. Lord, 
Lord, you're going to have to come and break this. I can't. Lord, we've heard so much preaching for so many years that our hearts are hardened by it. Lord, we think we can leave this house and go back and do our normal deal. Lord, we've done it before. Lord, we can go out and just pick up our life again. And we know we can make it because we've made provision in some way to have a contact with somebody who can help us get where we need to go. Lord, I'm not, I'm not happy about this church. And I can't grow it. I'm not happy about this city and I can't change it. I'm not happy about what's going on in this country. It's death, it's destruction, it's wickedness, and I can't do anything about it. Lord, I can't, I can't hold my marriage together. I can't provide the money. Lord, I can't do anything. I am totally dependent upon you, Jesus. I'm dependent on you to keep my marriage together. I'm dependent on you to heal my body, to heal my wife's body. Lord, I'm dependent on you for the breath I breathe. Lord, I'm dependent upon you for everything. You are all for me. And if I don't have you, I will die. I will pass into the grave. I will be but a, a, a remembrance on the face of the earth, and that will be quickly forgotten. Lord, I need you tonight. I need you to come and melt down our cold hearts. Oh, Lord, you have been patient beyond measure with this national prayer chapel. You could have destroyed us in a moment, putting a spirit of division among us and we would be gone. But Lord, you've held us in your hand so mercifully, so graciously. You put a spirit of unity among us that, Lord, did not come from me or from us. Lord, it came from your spirit. Lord, I come and ask you tonight, will you breathe into the National Prayer Chapel? Will you breathe into us, Lord God? Will you raise us up and stand us on our feet that we could be a witness in this city for righteousness and holiness? That we could raise up the banner of your compassion and love over this city? That you could trust us with a radio broadcast? Oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Shake us from our slumber. Shake us from our stupor, from our cold-heartedness, Lord. Oh, rise up, Spirit of the living God. Rise up, Spirit of the living God. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus, in this congregation. Lord, bind our marriages together. Lord, remove the anger and bitterness between husbands and wives. Lord, separate, 
separate our hearts from the world. Lord, separate our hearts from the stuff of the world. Lord, bring our hearts together. Give us one mind and one spirit. Lord, take the, take the lies from our children's lips. Take the anger from our children's hearts. Take the bitterness from their spirits. Oh, Lord, do a new thing amongst us. Heal us tonight, Lord Jesus. Oh, we're going to lose, Jesus. We're going to die. We're going to be wiped out. Have mercy upon us this night. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great Jesus Christ.